you are having a wonderful week. However you are joining us, thank you for your time. Uh, we want to get right into the scripture together. We value the scripture. If you're joining us, I know you do too. There's really no other reason to spend time uh, discussing these issues and reflecting upon these truths unless there is something in your heart that values the scripture and values its application to our lives. I want to uh, direct your attention to uh, the book of John. If you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to open them in your lap. And let's turn together to John chapter number eight. And I will have it on the screen too, but uh, we will we will have, uh, uh, there's a value to you being able to mark up your Bible. Uh, so let's start reading here at verse number 42. Jesus said to them, and, and notice the striking, strident uh, language. If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of, notice I circled of, I did that in my own Bible study, um, but you are of your father, the devil. Um, and the desires of your father, you want to do. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Yeah, so uh, you read that passage, and if you can read it just casually and keep on moving, uh, maybe you need to think about slowing down a little bit and reflecting upon the words. There's a, there's a lot of uh, uh, things happening here. Let me confess one of the things I do in study, um, or at least share one of the things I do in study. Uh, when I read a passage, because I've been in the church uh, essentially all my life, and I've spent um, at least multiple times a week um, reflecting, studying, listening to teaching, Bible study, and here's the thing, many of you have too, and so you understand this. Whenever you hear a scripture, in many ways, there's kind of like a catalog in my head of the different ways I've heard it taught, preached, shared, um, or referenced. And so I have, uh, I'm benefited and blessed to have a wealth of uh, conventional uh, instruction. And I read a passage, it's like that I, I automatically know the many ways that I have heard the passage addressed and dealt with. <laughs> Uh, which leads me to the next thing that I enjoy. Maybe it's a function of my personality, um, maybe not. Uh, but I immediately will begin to ask myself, how have I not heard this passage uh, taught? How, how, what, where is the fragments that remain, so to speak? Um, what haven't I heard uh, addressed, thought about, reflected upon, or even uh, prayed about if, if, if you, like many of us, like to take Bible reading into your devotion. All right, let's go back to the scripture here. The first way in which uh, you do not, I have not heard this um, addressed, um, 
is is this issue of verse 44 you are of your father the devil he does not say you are imprisoned by your father the devil he doesn't say you are in chains by your father the devil uh, he says you are of there is a source and flow of being you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do in other words you are not controlled by the devil you are not possessed by the devil you are of the devil pause think about it please don't rush past you're not controlled by your father the devil you are of your father the devil and what he wants is what you want so uh let me let me build here three tabernacle let me let me take a moment and talk about this um i, I don't want to complexify um i don't want to complicate but i want to explore the richness here because um you most commonly will hear god referred to as our heavenly father uh, when we pray we'll refer to him as our father in heaven when we pray the lord's prayer we will refer to him as our father in heaven hallowed be thy name and here he speaks to religious people um, who despite of their religiosity uh, they have are they they are reflecting a different father think about that they're not possessed they're not in chains they are not being forced against their will they are in unity think about it they're in unity with their father the devil they're not in unity with their heavenly father they're in unity with their father the devil are they uh, highly religious yes they are religious to a fault. They are absurdly religious. Um, and yet they are in unity with their father, the devil. Have they been given truth? Yes, they, they have. They are the inheritors of the Mosaic law, um, the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, they are rich in the worship of David, the Psalms and uh, praise that flows from David's pen. Um, have they been gifted prophets and given uh, holy sacred scripture? Yes. Has that kept them from being in unity with their father, the devil? Evidently not. Is there a risk that we could have all the accoutrements and accessories of religion and even truth and even sacred scripture and have a unity with our father, the devil, perhaps? Does it scare me? Yes. Do I worry about it? Yes. We are not uniquely good, and the Pharisees were not uniquely bad. We're all just people. So we have in all of us the potential to reflect, to live in unity, at one with our Heavenly Father. We also have the potential to live in unity with the rebel, the divine rebel, who was a murderer from the beginning who had he had the power, would have killed all who opposed him. He was not a murderer because he murdered. He was a murderer because it was in his heart to murder. God wasn't killable. It was in his heart. 
And all of these insights begin to show us uh, the range of human potential that exists. We have this spectrum of possibility within us. Um, we, on one hand, can reflect the image of day, the image of God. Uh, we can reflect God. And when you see the best of humanity, when you see us patient, long-suffering, kind, uh, if you want a Cliff Notes version to the best of humanity, um, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit, God's presence in you will produce naturally. Um, if you want to have a cliff notes of uh, the worst of humanity, uh, think in terms of lust and hatred and strife and competing one with another. All of the lusts of the flesh that cause wars and hatred and strife among us. Both potentials are within us. We are... <laughs> We are legion. <laughs> we have this huge spectrum of possibility. And it's not as simple as choice. Choice is part of it, yes. Um, but there's more to the mix than choice. You also grew up in a context. Some of you had the benefit of godly parents. Some of you had the detriment of ungodly parents. And you grew up within that. That's why only God can judge the heart. I think there will be people saved who didn't do very well by religious standards, but God knew their heart. And I think there are people who had every benefit of religious inheritance, but they're in some way displeasing to God um, and perhaps lost um, from God's presence because to whom much is given, much is required. Why other? Why else would there be the example of a thief of the, on the cross who doesn't even repent? Come on, all you formula-carrying theological quick draws. He doesn't even repent. He just asks to be remembered. And the Lord, knowing the heart, knowing the heart, knowing the heart moves heaven and earth, breaks the bondage of hell, and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. But wait, he, uh, he, didn't, he didn't fall into any of our quick draw you know, theological calculus, whereby we decide who's saved and who's lost. Well, first of all, let's lay that pistol down and let's let God judge the heart. I can't tell you the end of salvation, but I can tell you the beginning of salvation. The beginning is repenting, calling upon the name of the Lord. That's the beginning of salvation. Everything begins at that moment. That's why I think the Apostle Paul can say with such confidence that if you will believe and confess, you're going to be saved. In other words, you've began something in you. Now, is there more? Yes. You can't read anywhere in the New Testament without seeing more. You can't spend any time in the book of Acts without uh, seeing more. More is God's promise and God's gift. There will be more. There will be signs. There will be wonders. There will be testimonies. There will be baptisms of water and spirit. But those aren't beginnings. There's a reason why they tarried. There was a reason why baptism came later. The beginning was simply calling upon the name of the, believing, calling upon the name of the Lord. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 10 can make such a strong statement that, look, if you can believe and confess, um, you're going to be saved. It's, it's a statement of beginnings. Uh, and so in all of us is this huge potential in spite of the outwardness of our life, we can live where we reflect the image of God, or we can live and reflect the image of the rebel. 
We can live the life of the rebel. And when we do so, we're not possessed. We are of his heart. In other words, I have the potential to be the to be moved by the heart of God, to be drawn into the paths of righteousness, to be introduced to the way of the cross. And I also have this possibility where I can serve self and be motivated by hate, competition, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride. You understand what's happening here. And so if we are possible of both, possible of, of, of going both directions, uh, the way the scripture uh, sums this up is to use, let me get my pen here, to use this idea of there is no truth in him. He speaks a lot. How does Satan maintain his antichrist inclination, his anti-God? He does it with lies. That is how he maintains his uh, inclination, attitude against God. He does it with lies. And when we are of him, we are doing the same thing. We are telling ourselves lies. Uh, lies is evidence that we are being drawn into the very paths, the very creative uh, experiences of a, a, a murderous father. Not a good, good father, but a murderous father. Lucifer and all his deception. Uh, lies are the way that we are born of rebellion. Lies are the way we are drawn into Luciferian. How's that for a $2 uh, word? Luciferian confusion and self-deception. Lies. And so the most dangerous lies, you guys have heard me say this enough, you could say it yourself, are the lies we tell ourselves. Um, because uh, when we lie to others, we still have a hold on the truth. We know that we're telling a lie and we have to catalog it and remember it so we can maintain it in the future. Now, it gets harder and harder to maintain lies. But when you tell yourself a lie, you have no connection to the truth. You're not cataloging um, these mis these deceptions where you have to remember and keep track of them in the future. You are self-deceiving. So to lie to yourself is to abandon all connection to the truth. And it's an ex, an external force that must hold you to accountable to the truth, which reminds you, reminds me of that great uh, statement in American political history. You, you're welcome to your opinions, but you're not welcome to your own facts. Um, uh, facts have to be independent of opinions. But enough about that. Uh, we don't do politics other than to use it as an illustration. What are the deceptions that hell offers to us? Um, I'm going to give you uh, five deceptions. I'm going to move uh, as efficiently as possible through these five deceptions. These by no means are all the deceptions given to us through the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of the life. These are not all the deceptions of uh, hell's proffering to human um rebellion and spiritual rejection, but they are some of the big ones. And so I am going to start with number one, and that goes like this. Um, sin really doesn't matter. Sin really doesn't matter. Um, we have taken sin out of the modern mindset, um, and we are 
we have replaced it with other things, which are not altogether wrong or bad. We just, in many ways, de-religious, de-religify them. Boy, I'm making up words tonight. Um, <laughs> so let me give you an example. You don't hear sin talked about. You hear ethics talked about to take God out of it. Now, okay, it, that's probably fine. But you don't hear sin talked about. You you hear um, um, crime talked about. You don't hear sin talked. We've taken the duty to God out of the language, and we've only left the duty we have one to another. But um, we have missed something by doing that. Because remember, we are not self sourced. We are not self um, satiating. We're not enough for ourselves. Um, we are sourced by God's gift, and we hold within our souls a capacity for a sense of the eternal, beyond our comprehension. After you've learned all there is to learn, there's a gaping void in you that always leads you back to something more. Um, we have taken sin out of our vocabulary and we have made uh, terminology that is easier to deal with. But the Bible is clear about sin. The Bible is very, very clear about sin. And so the church world, religious people like me, you will hear us use language talking about sin. You'll hear us talk about sin, preaching, teaching, even singing. Um, but uh, although the Bible is clear about sin as a term, uh, the Bible is not as clear about a firm, um, well, let me say it differently. The Bible has a much broader definition range for sin than religious people do. Because when people like me talk, oftentimes when we say sin, if we're not careful, what we mean is this agreed upon uh, formula whereby the church will accept you and or approve of you. Um, that's what we refer to when we, when we talk about sin. Um, the Bible is much broader than that. Um, if you grew up in a religious environment, you probably thought of sin as, you know, the certain movies you shouldn't watch. That's true. Um, certain places maybe you shouldn't go. That's true. Um, but we have in many ways impoverished sin to make it about a list of community acceptance or community exclusion. Now, I want to be clear, that is not how the Bible uses sin. Because of that, oftentimes, uh, when religious people like me are teaching or preaching, I can read a scripture about sin. And if you grew up in a religious environment, you will hear that word sin, and you will think, oh, can't I can't smoke, and I can't chew, and I can't run with them that do. You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, this is wrong. Uh, we have to let the Bible define, define its terms, or what we do is we use Holy Scripture to defend sandboxes, not to understand the moral heart and nature of God. Um, so I want to broaden your sense of sin. The broadest possible review of sin is to miss the mark. That is a literal interpretation, um, to miss the mark, to have known to do good and not to have done it. Uh, how was your prayer time today? You know you need to pray. Did you miss it? You're a sinner. Um, this is why this definition of sin is very biblical and should humble all of us. This is why the whole attitude of I am undone um, is su such an essential 
posture to God in the in the Old Testament and the New Testament, not to have a self-review where I'm doing pretty good. I live today without sin. I don't know of a single sin I committed a day. You know what we call that? We call that pride and self-deception. Just because you don't know you sin doesn't mean you didn't miss the mark. Do you see how broad the scripture is? It is to create in us a much broader acceptance. Now, if you want to redefine sin to be, I am unaware of anything I have done that would cause the church to hold me in reproof and take away my fellowship card. Sure, I didn't sin today. And a lot of people, that's what they're living for. That is that is uh, very religious Um the Pharisees who Jesus are saying are of the devil, they would have understood that to their very bones. Um, that's not exactly sin as the Bible's referring to it, though. Sin is a much broader, uh, that is why the, uh, the Apostle Paul is so clarifying when he says, all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of uh, the, glory, the glory of God. However, However broad you want to make sin, however biblical you want to be about its application in your life, the Bible is clear that sin is the problem. It does not stutter. In fact, it repeats itself. Sin is the problem. But then the Bible broadens sin to where there's no way you can say you're not a sinner. Think about that. Um, The wages of sin are death. The Apostle Paul would be devastatingly clear. Galatians 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, <laughs> drunkenness, murders, revilings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that you which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Sin is an issue. It is the issue. And if it were not for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the spirit-empowered resurrection, there would be no hope. But because of the gospel, we have hope. That does not change the fact that we fight a daily war in our lives against sin. Sin matters. Plead the blood in your life. Fall upon the rock and be broken, lest the rock fall on you and crush you to the beyond the point of uh, recovery. The second big lie. So let me say the first big lie: sin doesn't matter, and you know, particularly in a modern thought, no sin matters. It matters every day, no matter how good you think you've been. Sin matters. Do you see? No matter how righteous you think you've been, sin matters. Live a life of repentance. Walk humbly before the Lord. Um, the second lie that is very much uh, uh, inheritance from Satan as father (laughs) is you don't need to answer to anyone but yourself. You are the judge of yourself. Therefore, as long as you can defend it to you, you are the only one that matters. Now, this is a great big deception that comes as... uh, an inheritance from Satan as father. If you're living your life as um, you're not under the possession of Satan, you are of Satan. You have within you the capacity 
to be good and evil. That's why there's evil in the world. You were created with the capacity for good and evil. I was created for the capacity of good and evil. The only way God can get evil out of the world is to destroy me or change the nature of my being where I no longer serve him in love and choice, but I now am in duty, obligation for fear of existence or programming automation where I haven't a choice. The only way that it can be a love story is if I am capable of love and hate. And if that is what God chose, that means we must accept a world with evil in it, where people can harm you, where things go wrong, where we can choose uh, quid pro quo relationship with God, where we withhold our affection if he doesn't give us what our want, we want. And when he doesn't heal us, we walk out of the church. When someone offends us, we give up on the body of Christ. You have to be able to choose both, or it's not a love story. It's some type of a computer science 101, let's program Bob. As long as Bob gets a choice, it's a world with good and evil in it. Um, the devil says you don't have to answer to anyone but yourself. This is very modern, but the Bible refutes this. And the words of Jesus and the words of the apostolic writers refute this. Revelations 20, verse number 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from, whom, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great stand before God and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. Judged according to your works. And the only way you can be saved is if your evil works have been washed and your good works have been made able through the power of God. We living testimonies, we living evangels repent from our capacity for evil and choose the way of God. We remove ourselves from the influence of the liar, the murderer, the great rebel, and we humble ourselves to God. Big lie number three says, um, God, this is very modern, um, God cannot care for you and must not care for you because you have difficulty in your life. If you have pain, it's because God doesn't love you. Um, if you are sick, it's because God doesn't love you. Um, first of all, <clears throat> this doesn't stand up to reason, um, but it is very much a, a tool that people use to feel better uh, about bitterness and anger and even to cope with pain and disappointment in their life. Um, if God loved you, he would have to, um, he would have to demonstrate that love for you because love ultimately must be demonstrated. Love must be demonstrated. Uh, us church people, we all the time saying one another, I love you, my brother. I love you. I love you. Now on one level, what we mean is I feel affection for you in the community in which I live. I do life with you. I feel affection for you. Um, and that's fine. Um, I think all of us would say some version of that. You'd pick different words, of course, probably better words than mine. But you would you would say, look, I, I feel affection for you and more. I, I want good things for you. There's no malevolence in my heart toward you. I, I want good things about you. And if I were to hear today that God had blessed you, I would be happy. We don't make that speech every time. What we say is, I love you, my brother. I want good things for you. Okay. Um, that is the expression of love. 
The demonstration of love is when it costs you something to hold to what you claimed was true. That's the demonstration of love. Um, how, let me try to think of a quick demonstration of this. No dad in the history of the world has gotten credit for uh, not risking their life for their children. <laughs> that, that's a terrible example. It doesn't even make sense. I, I Surely I can do better than that. The point is, is what impresses people is when you do risk your life, when it costs you something. You could have died. The building was on fire. No dad gets credit for standing outside and saying, I love my kids, but I don't, I, you know, when I, when I inhale smoke, I cough. So I'm not going in that house to try to save them. No, love may be, it's spoken between us. And, and we, we know within the context of human communication, what we mean is I want good things for you. I have affection for you. That's why a lot of times I can say it to people I don't really know yet. I find myself sending to people I haven't taken them out to lunch yet. I, a lot of people I need to go to lunch with. Some of you I've been trying for a while. Apologies. It's going to happen. Don't give up on me. <laughs> um, I, I don't know you yet, but I feel this love for you. And what I'm really saying is when I see you, I have a sense of rise in my spirit. I have a joy. I, I want good things for you. I enjoy doing life with you. Just seeing your face gives me happiness. I, 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 I get a sense of uplifting. I, I love you. Okay. But love that is really demonstrated manifest is when it costs you something. So it's, it's really, you can disprove your love. When you say, oh, you know, the first time you irritated me, I cut you off. Well, that, uh, that's the opposite of love. You demonstrated your lack of love. Um, so what I want to say this, how would God demonstrate his love to you without changing the nature of your existence where you can still choose good and evil? In other words, the love story of God and humanity can continue. You can still choose evil if you want. How can God demonstrate his love for you and not turn you into a computer science 101 programmed automaton where, you know, Sally doesn't have a choice. Sally has to be good. To be programmed to do good is to remove the goodness of it because it's not a choice. It's a program. It's an automata. So how does God show you love? How does God demonstrate love for you without changing the nature of your existence? In other words, you can still choose. You can still be good or evil. You can come to church or not. You can get mad at the preacher or not. You can forgive or not. How does he do it? Well, he has chosen to do it by paying the debt you could not pay, but not changing your ability to choose. In other words, imagine a parent bailing a child out of uh, jail and saying to them, um, I'm only going to bail you out if you let me lock you in the basement. You see what I'm saying? I'll bail you out if you'll let me lock you in the basement and keep you chained up so you don't go running after crazy people and crazy life again. That's not, that's, that's control. Uh, imagine the same parrot saying, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you again. I can't police you. I can't follow you around, but I'm going to trust you again. I'm going to try again. I love you. Um, so grace is God paying the debt we can't pay without changing the nature of our being without changing the 
nature of the moral universe in which we inhabit without changing our potential to become, to choose, to be more like him, leaving the possibility that we could slap him in his face, leaving the possibility that we could spit on him afresh. We could beat him with a cat of nine tails afresh. We could crucify him afresh. And still, he paid our debt. Um, So, I want to say this. God does care about you. When your life is hard, God still cares about you. When you make bad decisions, God still cares about you. Lie number four, and I'm going to move quickly if I can. Um, The lie is um, you can be a good person. No, let me say it differently because that's misleading. Um, The church doesn't matter. You don't need other people to try alongside you to please God. Just do the best on your own. Don't try to do it in community. Just try to do it in yourself. Um, This is a lie, and I want to point out to you that the Bible shows us um, the church as a way, um, a fulfillment of God's covenant in the New Testament, and as the mechanism where God has chosen to put us together with different purposes, different callings, and different abilities, and the whole prosper from the synergy of togetherness and more, the ability that we would have to work with people who were different than us is part of our testimony that we really are changed by divine love. And if we are unable to work with others, if we are unwilling to forgive, um, if we are unwilling to try to unify with others, then perhaps we aren't of our Father in heaven. What did Jesus say? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Help us, Lord. Lastly, um, the lie that hell loves to give is this one. Um, You should do good, but don't do it today. Get started tomorrow. Um, Satan is the master procrastinator. He's perfectly willing, you think, and you ought to do better. I need to be more consistent in prayer. I need to get a devotional time that I do with my my spouse, maybe even with my children. I need to invest in them. I need to um, I need to pray. I need to find a ministry at the church that I can give my time and talent to. It's not enough for me just to sit out here and be blessed. I, I need I need to think about am I supporting in my time and my effort. I need, to, I need to check my wallet and see if my wallet is revealing a difficulty I'm having with trusting God. Um, I, I need, the, the devil doesn't care what you decide to do for the good. As long as you'll start next Sunday. You see, not this Sunday, next Sunday. Um, as long as you'll do it someday, um, he's perfectly willing for you to consider the fact that you you should do better at this, better at that. Um, And if he can get you, like Felix in Acts chapter number 24, uh, after he is trembling with the conviction of Paul's ministry, he says, um, when I have a convenient season, I will call you. Or King Agrippa in the next chapter, or two chapters later, 26 of Acts, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Uh, Lucifer's greatest success against us is not taking power over us, but showing us how to birth within ourselves uh, 
the ways, the heart, the attitude of a rebel. And then we, even if we're religious, even if we quote Old Testament all day long, or New Testament for that matter, um, if we believe our own, if we fall into the snare of our own capacity for self-deception, um, then we don't need to be demon-possessed. That demon can run off and cause trouble for someone else. We are doing so of our father, the devil. And just as God created us with one ideal, the image of God, to reveal the possibility within us to choose the good. So Lucifer showed us a path to question God, to doubt God, to reject God, to choose our own way. And then rather than acknowledging that God is the judge, to sit in judgment of God and feel good about ourselves while we do it. This is the deception that Satan as father offers. I want to choose against it. I know you do too. I want to check myself. I want to ask myself prayerfully, or are there areas where I am making excuses for myself? Um, are there are there ways in which I'm refusing? Um, am, am I really just looking for an easy way? Uh, Christians love to talk about compromise. The point of is compromise is just to find an easy way, um, not to wrestle with anything difficult, not to wade through the asking, seeking, knocking of the tension of faith, but just to make it simple where I can be done with it. Um, we're not looking for an easy way. And we're not looking for less church. I know our style is different. We have more church than we've ever had. We have more meetings than we ever have. We have more Bible studies than we've ever had. Yeah, we're spread out across a metro. Yeah, we do. Tuesday night Bible study, Wednesday night Bible study, Thursday night Bible study. Uh, we do early prayer. We, Yes, yes, we use technology, but we're having more prayer than we've ever had. I invite you to be a part of early prayer tomorrow morning, 6.30 a.m. Be there, be square. I invite you to Pastor Don's Bible study tomorrow night. Check the website for details. Pastor Lisa last night. Check the website for these details. Monday night at the church. Celebrate recovery. Wednesday night, hosting uh, Alcoholics Anonymous at the church. We're not looking for an easy way. If you are, send let, send me a text, let me know. Or if you think we are, uh, send me a text, let me know you think we are, so I can see if you've been in early prayer recently. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I don't, I, I, want, I don't want to deceive myself. I don't want to find a way to make it easy. I want to get the Bible right. Now, I, I'm incapable of getting it perfect. I'm incapable of getting it 100% right. But I want to err in the side of caring what God says and praying that I would be of my Father in heaven, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord Jesus, would you lead us, direct us, empower us? Would you help us, O oh God? Let us look into our hearts. Let us be... Uh, hungry for justice uh, for ourselves and mercy for others. Uh, you taught us that, uh, to seek justice for ourselves and mercy for others, to be humble, uh, but to do things right, to be quick to celebrate mercy for other people. This goes 100% against our flesh. 
He goes 100% against Lucifer. It's the hard work of seeking you, seeking the right choice within a moral universe, seeking the still small voice within a spiritual universe. Help us to do it, Lord Jesus. I pray you would be with your people. Give them wisdom. Give them direction. I pray you would fight their battles this week so they would have energy to invest in the kingdom of God. Save us from being so exhausted in our careers we have nothing to give the kingdom of God. Save us from getting to the weekend and all we want to do is stay home because we're so tired from our week. We don't want to know you and walk with you and spend time with you. Save us from all the deception that comes to us that we would in some way, rather than choosing that and being of, say, a satanic father, we would follow you and be made in your image and celebrate who you are and who we can be through you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. We love you. Uh, multiple service times on Sunday, 9.15 and 11 in the, Char- the Charlotte campus. Both those services in English, uh, services at two at the Charlotte campus, one in French, one in Spanish, in the Concord campus, uh, English at 2 p.m. and Spanish service at 11 a.m. A lot of things going on. Um, and of course, meetings all during the week. Ladies weekend this this week. That's enough. God bless you. We love you. Have a great day and a great evening in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.